Welcome to the Pagan Christian Podcast. I'm Alex, the Pagan Christian. It's a podcast for Christians, pagans, and everywhere in between, and also everyone in between. And a world where Christians look more and more like non-Christians, and non-Christians look more and more like Christians. I'm just a Christ follower trying to find out what we, as the church, can learn from the world, and hopefully say some things about what the world can learn from the church. Strap in. Today we're telling stories. As you could probably tell, that introduction is not a sort of copy-paste. I want everything to be organic here. So that includes some of the mistakes, you know. We're, uh, we are humans. We have different stories. And, you know, those stories are not picture-perfect as maybe Instagram or the social medias are, you know, threatening to to make it, make it feel like. Um, but today we're going to talk about a story because I really want to make sure that all of these episodes, you know, we kind of, there's a continuity to it all. I want to make sure that, you know, if we start talking about what does it mean to sort of be, uh, you know, to have a Christian cultural engagement with, you know, Halloween or, uh, rock music or, you know, the idea of, uh, there being other gods or science, like before we talk about all those like interesting and different subjects, or Gilmore Girls, which I like so desperately want to do, we'll do it. Uh, before we do all that, I think we kind of need to know where, what's the foundation? Where are we starting from? And really that is the Christian story. And, you know, for, for us to start somewhere, we got to start at the start and, I so that's kind of where I want to begin today. You know, we are narrative creatures. You know, we're not hard, rational little bobbleheads. You know, you stick more information in us and then we just, you know, everything changes and we act differently. That's not how it works. Uh, you know, we are affected by our desires and those desires are both conditioned by and, uh, you know, seek solace in other stories. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we hear narrative or story and we think, oh, well, that means it's not true. Does not, not at all. Uh, science is a type of story. It tells a certain story and rationalism maybe tells a certain story. And, and sometimes those impact our stories, which is, uh, which is fine. But if we are narrative creatures, then, you know, I think it's important to figure out kind of what uh, narrative you know, maybe God has, and do we have a role or a place in that narrative? So I started looking around, and I asked around, and shout out to Father Wesley Walker. He's an Anglican priest, and he has a podcast of his own, which is pretty good. So if you like this, but you want someone who's uh, smarter, <laughs> uh, you know, check out the Sacramentalists, you know, so shout out critical support for the Sacramentalist and, uh, you know, respect for that. Um, but he, he put me onto this and, you know, you all might thank me because it's a lot easier of a quote than the one I was going to go for. There's this philosopher that, uh, he's just dizzying so good, but so dizzy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, about what does it mean to have the Christian story? And, you know, he's like, well, what about N.T. Wright? And N.T. Wright's one of those oldies, but goodies, like, you know, it's, that's a guy that knows his Bible and uh, and says some pretty good things, you know, and consistently. Like, honestly, most of the time, it seems like the trend is actually the reverse. Like, if you have, you know, a pastor or a Christian cultural commentator, like someone who's, like, popular and Christian, 
Uh, it's like dumb take city out here. Like it's just a lot of dumb, bad, uh, you know, views on like a bunch of stuff. So like, for example, you know, I really want to get into the subject of Halloween and we're going to have a Halloween themed uh, episode, but not for the, you know, it's going to happen before Halloween because I want y'all to celebrate. And, um, you know, I think most of the time I, I was looking around at least and it was like everyone is like, you know, why Christians should be aware of Halloween? Why Christians shouldn't practice Halloween? Because it's the devil's day. And I'm like, who raised you and who do I need to pray for? Because it looks like there might be a list. A lot of people failed you over time. So, um, and I don't mean that to be insulting if you're like, you know, a big Halloween denier. I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, I, we all need Jesus, um, but you need candy too. So, so I've got one of those things. I've got two of those things in all honesty, but, uh, but I could probably use a little bit more of, well, I could use a little bit more of both. You know, anyways, we're getting off subject. I want to talk about the Christian story today because then we're going to reference the Christian story uh, in the future when we talk about everything from Halloween to Gilmore Girls to, you know, Slayer and everything in between Kendrick Lamar. It's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be fun. But uh, yeah, you know, let's do it. So the Christian story, at least according to N.T. Wright, so uh, Father Walker sent me this article, and then I started reading the book, uh, and honestly, this quote that the article, you know, pulls, it comes from the end of the book, um, and uh, the book is The New Testament and the People of God by N.T. Wright, came out in 1992, and it's a long quote, so bear with me, but I think it really does kind of everything, it, or it touches upon everything, kind of like in an overview sort of perspective, and, uh, you know, then we'll, we'll kind of go back and, you know, we'll, we'll fill in some details, you know, a little bit. So, um, yeah, let's, let's jump right in. So Wright says, you know, that Christianity is about answering, you know, sort of a few essential questions. Who are we? Where are we? What is wrong? And what's the solution to that wrong? And this isn't like a Christian question necessarily or set of questions. Uh, they're honestly a set of questions that apply to all people at all times that come from any sort of worldview or, you know, offer any type of perspective on, you know, human existence. You know, why do we do the things that we do? Um, you know, personally, and then in a community, and then globally, you know, why, why is this the sort of terms and conditions, you know, I didn't, uh, it's not like Apple, where like, you know, you just hit continue, like, you didn't even get the option, you know, if you just, I don't know, I don't, I don't have Apple anymore. Good for me. Um, critical support and prayer for Apple users. They need Jesus more than the rest of us. Uh, I'm just kidding, maybe. All right, anyway, so let's get to those questions. Wright says, who are we? You know, he says that Christians are a new group, a new movement, yet not new, because we claim to be the true people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the world. We are the people for whom the creator God was preparing the way through his dealings with Israel. To that extent, we are like Israel. We are emphatically monotheists, not pagan polytheists, marked out from the pagan world by our adherence to the traditions of Israel, and yet distinguished from the Jewish world in virtue of the crucified Jesus and the divine 
divine spirit and by our fellowship in which the traditional Jewish and pagan boundary markers are now transcended. Well, but where are we? We are living in the world that was made by God, made by the God that we worship, the world that does not yet acknowledge this true and only God. We are thus surrounded by neighbors who worship idols that are, at best, parodies of the truth, and who thus catch glimpses of reality but continually distort it. Humans in general remain in bondage to their own gods, who drag them into a variety of degrading and dehumanizing behavior patterns. As a result, we are persecuted because we remind the present power structures of what they dimly know, that there is a different way to be human, and that in the message of the true God concerning his son Jesus, notice has been served on them that their own claim to absolute power is called into question. But what is wrong? Well, the powers of paganism still rule the world. And from time to time, they even find their way into the church. Persecutions arise from the outside, yet heresies and schisms from within. There is evil that can sometimes be attributed to supernatural agency, whether Satan or various demons. Even within the individual Christian, there remains forces at work that need to be subdued, lusts which need to be put to death, party spirit which needs to learn humility. What is the solution? Well, Israel's hope has been realized. The true God, the Messiah, has acted decisively to defeat the pagan gods and to create a new people through the true King Jesus. Uh, but also to rescue the world from evil. In Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, in particular through his death and resurrection, the process of implementing this victory by means of the same God continuing to act through his own spirit in his people is not yet complete. One day, the king will return to judge the world and to set up a kingdom which is on a different level to the kingdoms of the present world order. When this happens, those who have died as Christians will be raised into a new physical life. The present powers will be forced to acknowledge Christ as Lord, and justice and peace will be served at last. That's the end of the quote. I know it was a mouthful. Uh, please stick with me. And uh, yeah, let's get some details in there. Let's take it from the top. Make it drop. I'm not allowed to say the next line, but if you knew what song that comes from, uh, one, I'll pray for you, and two, uh, comment on the Facebook post that advertises this podcast. Or, I don't know, just do whatever you want. Um, anyways, so we got the Christian story, and then, honestly, it doesn't even begin the Christian story. You know, the Bible, you know, you may have heard a lot of things about Christianity. You probably have your own view on whether Christianity is good, bad, right, wrong, dumb, smart. You know, there's a bunch of different ways to think about it. But Christianity is sort of, you know, it has a very long history because Christianity is an extension of the Judaism that preceded it. So to be Jewish, you know, from the sort of, you know, origins of time, you know, it stretches back thousands and thousands of years or, uh, you know, however your sort of anthropological or human history uh, stretches. Um, in that world, you know, there were, well, actually, let's even talk about before before the creation of space and time, you know, you exist within a bubble, you know, this bubble is space and time, you know, your head, even now, as I'm saying words, is compartmentalizing meaning into specific words, condensating it so that you can kind of have like button, you know, nugget sized morsels that you understand. Even that whole sentence might have been a bit too much to chew. So Alex, please break it down. Uh, the point is, is we are bound by limitations. You know, you can't fly, or at least you most likely can't fly. But if you can fly, 
comment because I want to come hang out with you. That sounds dope. Um, and of course, I'm talking about flying like without, you know, external uh, supplementation. If you can fly a plane, well, all right. I mean, still hit me up because I want to, I want to, I wouldn't mind flying in some planes. But point is, you know, we have limitations. And the reason why we have limitations is because of something that happens, you know, millennia ago. Uh, multi-millennia ago so before there was space and time before there was anything there was god already we're beginning with a radical claim and god creates and it's an act of love and this is the way it was supposed to be and you know he creates uh the entirety of the universe the entirety of things that were understood in sort of six days now is this literally true did he big bang boom the universe into existence i don't care it doesn't matter uh the point is is that this is narratively speaking a good way to think about how uh life functions and the reason being is because in you know early genesis the point is thinking about how this is how life was made and it was good you know its purpose was to be good uh, and then it fell and it was no longer good but you know, there is hope, there is redemption, there is reconciliation because Christ comes, you know, God comes in human form, uh, although not maybe form is probably not the best way to describe it, but he comes in the person of Jesus Christ and, you know, provides a way for redemption to occur. So there's, there's a, a sort of hopeful conclusion. There's meaning and purpose to the story of what it means to be Christian and to understand ourselves in the context of Christianity. So the Christian understanding of the world is a way of understanding the meaning and purpose of the world. It's not like erratic or meaningless. Most things are meaningless, but they're only meaningless because they aren't tied to their original function, which is to say, how do they best signify God? This happens in a, like a million different ways because there's some over, you know, there's millions and millions of different things. For example, uh, film. Film is a different type of narrative. You know, it tells you a story and it sometimes films remind you of things that are good, uh, whether it's something that's really funny or something that's really hopeful. It inspires you, etc. It is telling you a small part of the larger story that God is telling basically in the Bible. And you see that there's a lot of like metaphors and parallels that happen between most stories and the Christian stories. They are parasitic on the Christian story. They have to draw their inspiration from a source. And what better source is it than the sort of, um, you know, the cosmology or the, uh, the origin of all things everywhere and anywhere. Amen. You know, I'll use a sort of obvious example, Lord of the Rings, you know, we'll talk about Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings is awesome. But the entire purpose of Lord of the Rings, you know, has very Christian parallels. And it's for a reason. The writer of Lord of the Rings was Roman Catholic and, you know, heavily influenced by his religion and, you know, wrote accordingly. But I don't think it's a surprise that that story was so well told. And uh, I think the reason is because it tells a part of a larger story, the Christian story. An example is how, uh, you know, Aragorn, the king, um, you know, is willing to lay down his life for his friends, which is in Matthew, it's in the Proverbs. There is no uh, greater thing that one can do than lay their life down for, the, for their friends. Um, 
you know, it's this idea, you know, in the in the two towers that they just need to hold on until daybreak because uh, then, you know, Gandalf, the white wizard, uh, who's one of multiple examples of a metaphor for Christ, uh, you know, he'll he'll come with the Calvary and this onslaught of death, this onslaught of tyranny and destruction and, uh, you know, sort of psychological, like uh, frustration, like sadness and a loss of hope, you know, that's basically the sort of power of this war, you know, the war between uh, Isengard, which are the evil sort of Urukai, you know, they're a sort of corrupted human being. And, you know, the men who are not, they're not good in any sort of objective sense. But, you know, over the course of this narrative, they reveal that they are, you know, they reclaim their ways and they try to fight for honor and for virtue and for good, you know, defending, uh, you know, their their nation, defending themselves, you know, from obliteration, you know, uh, that's a it's not a bad thing. And, um, you know, the idea of holding on through the night, you know, that light comes in through the morning is it's a psalm you know it's 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 all it's all throughout the scriptures the entirety of revelation and it's the idea that we have a hope that hopes against hope um so on so forth and so creation there's the garden of eden uh we are banished from that garden when we choose to sin sin is nothing more than rebelling against god's plan you know drake had some ideas he's talking about god's plan uh Man, these dad jokes are a little too easy, and I'm not a dad, so I'll, I'll cut them. I'll cut the dad jokes. You're welcome, everybody. Your prayers have been answered. But, uh, yeah, I think the purpose here is that things were good, and then we were sort of cast in sin. And anyone who says that Adam and Eve were the sort of original sinners, you know, they didn't prevent each other or themselves from sinning, Um you know, they they commit the sort of first decision and it is kind of inherited through creation. It affects everything. Uh, kind of think of it like maybe you've seen like a show or a movie that says that like, you know, order has been uh, disordered. You know, maybe there's like a, a central stone or, uh, you know, something that's not out of that's now put out of place. And as a result, you know, the garden is starting to die and the world is starting to corrupt. Actually, you know what example comes to mind? It's the movie Moana. So if you haven't seen Moana, you should definitely see Moana because it's a beautiful Christian story, but not just, not uh, not exclusively, which is my point here. Every story tells a part of the larger story. But Moana talks about the heart of Tefiti, which is, um, you know, uh, in, in the context of the story, it's a, I believe, a god um, or supernatural creature of some sort that the heart of Tefiti maintains literally uh, the climate and the world and the earth as having this sort of beautiful and like heavenly space. And because the heart has been stolen, you know, literally removing the heart, you know, leads into anger and evilness and that's represented through you know the the islands are starting to sort of burn up and and the uh the crops aren't they're not growing the right way so like you know different fruit like coconuts are um like they've spoiled and they've gone bad and uh you know different things are starting to burn the there's this island that the the beast of tifiti or what have you um 
is this kind of like evil lava creature but when the heart is returned you know nature returns and it's the idea that out of disorder there is order a returning to order so in that's the same thing that happens here in the christian story uh, the Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God and therefore are cast into a world of disorder by their own design, their own decision. And we do that every day. Uh, we all sin, Christians, non-Christians, everybody sins, which is to say that we rebel against the heart of God. Is it possible to not sin? I think it is. Um, especially if you break it down in terms of, you know, your every day. What do you do? What sort of um, habits do you live? What kind of desires do you inculcate? And, uh, you know, in the Christian story, we see this idea that the Bible, uh, you know, is written by many different authors, but really guided by one Holy Spirit, which is one of the persons of God. And that gives you an outlook towards what is good, how to see God in the sort of clearest way. So for example, uh, you might have heard of the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Of course, that's a Christian rule, but it doesn't seem exclusively Christian. I think most people can sign on board with that. Same thing with like, thou shall not murder. I think most people agree that murder is bad. Um, but why does it feel sort of inherently Christian? Why does it feel like a good idea or a rule or a virtue? And the reason is because it's part of a larger design, a larger plan. If you are not murdering and if you are doing unto others as you would have they do unto you, you are more likely to see a sort of bigger reflection of what like heaven looks like or what God looks like in this world. And that's not to reduce the Bible to a set of virtues or to a set of stories. It's not. And if we go back to N.T. Wright, the idea here is that we are seeing the one true God, the only person in which the full story is clarified. You know, the last piece of the puzzle that maybe other, you know, religious narratives have complex and interesting and good puzzles, but they always miss a few pieces or even one piece, you know, one critical piece. In order to understand and see the puzzle with its full scope, you need to uh, you know, you need to have all of the pieces and Christianity claims to have all of the pieces. Um, I've talked about the persons of the Godhead and, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in the future, but it is important to know that Christianity thinks of God as three persons that are united as God. So there's the God, the father, there's the, uh, who reigns in heaven or outside of space and time. There is the Son, which is Jesus Christ, which is God that appears in human, uh, you know, as a human, you know, for, uh, around 33 AD, and uh, who's since, you know, was uh, lived, died, and rose again, and has now ascended to, you know, uh, being at the sort of proverbial right hand next to the Father. And then there's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit still exists here in this world with us. Um, and, uh, you know, they have different roles and responsibilities. Uh, they're not individually God, but together they are. Uh, it's, it's a mystery is really the best way to describe it. There's a lot of, uh, you know, ways in which one can get tripped up, uh, in trying to understand it. But the point of that mystery is that we, we don't want to have, you know, arrogance and ego about this. 
There are parts of the Christian story that are a little mysterious, but that's because there's parts of the world that are a little mysterious. Like anyone who immediately uses this and turns around like, therefore science, ha <laughs> It's like, bro, you know, science, like science can't tell you what's in the ocean, let alone in space. Like you think that we're like, you know, my point is that we need to have a little bit of humility and grace and how we understand you know, our part in a larger story. But Christianity does give you a lot of the pieces, if not all the pieces. And that's kind of where we uh, where we come to. So I want to return to N.T. Wright a little bit because I said a lot up top, but we didn't really get to contextualize it. But the point is, you know, I'll, I'll take you through a few quotes I think maybe could use a little more context. At one point he says, we are emphatically monotheists, not pagan polytheists. I think that's true. A monotheist believes that there is one God or at least one supreme deity. And in Christianity, we think that is the one triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. Uh, which is God or Yahweh or um, or the Lord. Sometimes you'll hear people say uh, pagan polytheists are people that believe in many gods. You know, we talked last episode about how um, the Romans believed in many different gods or Greco-Romans believed in, you know, entire pantheons of gods. There's the Egyptian pantheon, the Greek pantheon, and, you know, the Roman pantheon, like kind of like a, like a council of different gods that ruled over different territories. And, uh, you know, it's not to say that Christianity doesn't believe that those, uh, I'm going to say characters or persons or personalities. It's not that those persons don't exist, but uh, they don't have the sort of supreme power or all-knowing or omnibenevolent, which is to say all-caring, all-loving aspects that Yahweh does. You know, Yahweh, or God, claims to be the capital G supreme creator. And these other gods um, are, are not that. You know, they, uh, they exist as what N.T. Wright says are parodies. And we're going to talk about the idea that there are other gods out there. Uh, I mean... One only needs to look at Chris Hemsworth to know that at least Thor's out there, and we are all blessed as a result of it. I really need Jesus. Anyways, um, we'll talk about that in a future episode. But you know, there's the the point is is we don't we don't worship them. We don't worship other gods. Um, another thing is that you know N.T. Wright says, let's see here. Someone else could be better clarified. You know, Jesus is the one. That, you know, he is the way. As the Mandalorian says, you know, this is the way. And uh, and I think that's fine. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the, the life. Only by me can ye enter the gates of heaven. A bit of paraphrase there. Uh, but that's true. And it's not just a question of good works, which is, you know, what the Bible seems to signify is very important. But also knowing and trusting in Christ as Savior which is why there is a sort of implicit importance in understanding who Christ was. Uh, you know, what does it mean for the God, the creator of the entire world and universe as you understand it, to care about you personally, so intimately, that he was willing to come to this world to experience life as you've experienced it, so that, you know, you're on equal playing fields, and was willing to die the you know, the sentence, the death sentence that you were supposed to endure and then conquered it for you. 
um, to give you hope that so that you don't have to endure that sentence. Because it says that the wages of sin is death. So when you rebel against God and you choose to set your life up against him, um, you know, the, uh, you know, death, true death is living against God. God without God you know we live in this sort of like playground world where people are able to have like you know little pleasures on one side you can eat what you want you can uh, sleep with who you want you can be lazy however you want to so on and so forth um, but that doesn't mean that they're all good uh, and it also doesn't last forever but life lasts forever and it's kind of a question of do you want that life to you know, be reconciled and be with the one that, you know, designed you, that, you know, understands your deepest desires and cares about you and wants the best for you? Or do you sort of want to live, um, you know, kind of in the vacuum of your own self, but without all the pleasures that come from even this playground? And I think the answer is kind of obvious, but, you know, also I've kind of weeded the deck. You know, it's easy to be like, Christianity is true, therefore... Uh, it's either life or not life, but you know, I think a larger point that might be helpful is that, um, it's a very real reality that needs to be acknowledged at, at least some level. Uh, and I, I hope that this episode, if more than anything, is an attempt to acknowledge, you know, the Christian story as part of everybody's story. Um, you know... N.T. Wright talks about how the powers of paganism still rule the world, and from time to time, they even find their way into the church. I think Wright is talking about paganism in the context of non-Christians. So last episode, uh, you know, we talked about there's different definitions of pagan, and for some, that would be basically like a non-Christian. That's kind of where the term originated in in uh, fourth century Roman Jewish thought, uh, Roman Christian thought. Well, I guess it's kind of the same thing. They believe themselves to be Jews and, and are Jews, um, but Roman Christian thought. And uh, yeah, the I guess like the idea here is that, you know, there's sometimes pagan means that, other times it means Gentile, and a Gentile is someone that can become a Christian, you know, someone that is of the world, and that's what, you know, I, in the through this podcast, attempt to be. The pagan Christian is somebody that is, uh, you know, of the world and encounters it, but they don't identify with the world. It's not about having the most amount of money and the most amount of toys, you know, uh, or uh, having the most class or the most power or, you know, the most, um, I don't know, like sexual influence, I guess. Like, I guess there's a lot of things that you could want, but uh, they will all eventually die and the world will have died without you. You know, you don't get to keep those things. Uh, and I think the point is, is that you can be the king of that world or you can be a king in the eternal world. And that's kind of what this is. Christ is a king and he gives you a crown uh, to, you know, to be identified with. You know, God looks at you and he sees Jesus in a way. Or at least that's so the saying goes in, in certain circles. Um, but anyway, so he says that paganism still rules the world, which is to say, you know, the world is run by non-Christian powers and influences. It is not a radical claim to say that America is anti-Christian. It also 
always has been. Anyone that tells you otherwise does not either A, understand political theology, or B, understand history, or C, I don't know, understand Christianity. Um, and we'll talk about that. I've got an episode lined up about political theology. It's easy for people to be like, America is a Christian nation. Nah, don't know about that, chief. Hard to be a Christian nation and be genociding an entire continent and enslaving a different one, enslaving a different one and being like, oh, it's Christian because I don't, that's not in my Bible. And uh, maybe it's in your uh, Thomas Jefferson Bible, you know, and that joke is really funny if, uh, and, and nothing's better than explaining a joke that helps with it being funny. But uh, Thomas Jefferson made his own interpretation of the Bible, except he like cut out all the mystical parts because he wanted it to be really scientific. Yeah. I don't know where that guy is right now, but I can't imagine it's too uh, too great. Um, but yeah, in the context of this, you know, it says the the world is still run by paganism, and sometimes that even finds its way into the church. You know, the church is run by a lot of people, and people need to constantly be checked. Their egos need to be checked. Um, and unfortunately, even in my experience, most churches don't have that accountability set up. Now, the Bible not only says that it is mandatory, but it explains how to do that. Uh, but in this world, at least in the American context, you know, and I've been in a lot of churches growing up. Uh, you know, I grew up primarily in one church. And then when I went to college, I started experiencing different churches. I went to the South where there's like a church on every block. And I'm not even kidding. There was a lot. Uh, I recently came to Pittsburgh and I went to a lot of churches here to kind of find a new sort of church home because not all churches are the same. Um, and most churches don't have that sort of accountability structure. So it really is just like a short, a small business. And if you think that a business and a church are even close to the same thing, then you've definitely sided with the business. You know, a church is not a business. You know, it is not about making money. It's not about setting up power. It's, uh, it is about the opposite of those things. You know, the first church, you know, if we can consider it a church and maybe not a temple, although there's like little to no difference in the context of, you know, the book of Acts, which is what happens immediately after Christ ascends into heaven. Um, uh, you know, there was teaching and redistributing of resources and money and people were selling everything that they had so they can be a part of the cause. People were getting imprisoned. People were getting murdered and not by like randos. They were being murdered by like the government, like the Roman Empire. And uh, and it sort of makes sense because Romans believed that Christians were like a bunch of yahoos, like specifically like they only worshiped one God when there's like they're like, yo, there's legit like thousands of gods and you only worship one. You must be an atheist, <laughs> you know, which is a really funny way to think about atheism, because now it's like if you're an atheist, I think the idea is that um do you think there's nothing out there like at all? Like you have to be like a, a hard believer in science or something. And I'm not saying that is or isn't true about atheists, but it's funny because back then to be an atheist meant that you didn't believe in the majority of available, you know, gods and deities. So only believing in worshiping one God was like, yo, you must be an atheist. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, you know, Christians wouldn't bend the knee for any of you Game of Thrones fans out there. They're like, nah, um, you know, we'll we'll be respectful and we'll do our job, but we're not about to uh, live and die for king country of Rome. <laughs> 
And uh, that didn't work out very well. Rome was not very happy about that. And also they were like, yo, so you got this communion thing where you eat like bread and wine, but you're saying it's like flesh and blood. And that's because Christ says, you know, you do this in remembrance of me. And he passes bread and he says, this is my flesh. And he passes wine. He says, this is my blood. We'll also talk about the sacraments and whether that's really flesh and blood or if it's actually just bread and wine. Uh, But there is something mystical that is occurring there. But the point is, Romans are like, yo, so these like atheist uh, cannibalists (laughs) are not following the world, the, the law at least in the traditional sense. And, you know, they're growing at like an exponential rate, like literally, like I think within the first, like, you know, the year to year translation was like, it had a multiplier effect. So it was like, you start off with a few thousand, but in the next like 10 years, it was like 250,000. Then 10 years after that, it was like a million. It's just like, how do you get those numbers? Like, to be honest, they have to be convinced about the persuasiveness of the gospel to really change their world. But nonetheless, um, you know, I'm not here to, you know, argue about uh, why history went down the way it did. I'm here to sort of point out that it, that history happened. And, uh, you know, the Romans were not fans and then cracked down on Christians for not even like a year or two. I mean, 2020 has felt like a thousand years, but it's really only been like 10 months. Um, you know, but in that 10 months, you have black people being murdered, uh, at not just alarming rates, but also very publicly, like through, uh, you know, social media and videos that are being taken. Uh, you have a sort of like highly aggressive police force that, you know, needs to be held accountable in some way, but nobody seems to know what that looks like. You have the coronavirus that is sort of running rampant throughout the world, um, and none more so than here in America and people aren't sure exactly what or how to do, you know, how, how or what to do about that situation, how to approach it or what to do about it. Um, you know, it it could, it could easily feel like we're almost feel like we're, we're underground in a weird way. Um, but no one in particular is necessarily driven underground. Christians not only at that time were, but it also wasn't for just 10 months, it was for like over 300 years. So, um, you know, and at that time, it's not like people are stepping down because they have, you know, their lives and their families to protect. They're stepping up and they're like, no, I want to be Christian too, because they're persuaded by the sort of effect of the gospel. So uh, I've kind of gotten a little bit off track, but let's let's roll back with N.T. Wright. And he said that You know, there are persecutions that exist outside of the church, and then there's heresies and schisms inside of the church. You know, one of the things he's talking about is the Roman Catholic Church, probably like the sort of OG Protestants, although they would hate to be described as that. They protested the what is now known as the Eastern Orthodox Church, the original church, uh, and created their own church, which is, I guess, technically the Western Orthodox, but we all understand it as the Roman Catholic Church. And then there was people that came later, like Luther, and they actually called themselves Protestants. And they were like, well, we don't want to be part of the Roman Catholic Church because we think you aren't doing the right things. You know, you're not belie- you're not preaching the right truths, etc. And then from there, it was just a splintering effect. I mean, in America, you might, you know, one might say Christian, but you might think Episcopal, Methodist, uh, Anglican, 
uh, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Evangelical, non-denominational, interdenominational, Nazarene, you know, Wesleyan, like, you know, there's like a, it's like a different flavor of the week out here with these, with these churches, you know, and do they all believe in like sort of one unified thing? Well, hopefully in that hopefulness is uh, they believe in Jesus, but uh, they have different approaches when it comes to the details, and that's kind of what separates denominations. But those schisms are inherently also an issue because there is a sort of rebelling against the authority, which is to say the church authority that God has placed. Now, it also means that maybe there wasn't enough accountability when it comes to keeping that church accountable, which is why people feel like they needed to create a schism in the first place. So it's a complex debate is, I guess, kind of my, my point here. You know, Wright goes on, he says, these evils can sometimes even be supernatural. You know, Satan, various demons. And we believe that Satan and demons are real. Um, you know, we're going to have an episode about that. There is a supernatural part of this world, and it's only supernatural because we don't acknowledge it as natural. You know, when mystical things happen for good or bad, that's a very natural thing. In fact, it happens more often than you might even consider. Um, I listened to a podcast called Supernatural, and it's uh, with Ashley Flowers, critical support for Ashley Flowers, Supernatural. And uh, yeah, they sometimes talk about mystical, unexplained possible things that just doesn't make sense, you know, by the natural world. And that's because there is a whole other layer, a supernatural layer to how the world works. And that's flooded with angels and demons and the Holy Spirit and Satan and so on and so forth. And you have a supernatural part of your body. You know, you have a soul, you have a spirit. And uh, it's important to attend to that. So part of understanding the Christian story is not just about knowing your place in the story, but it's also so you can be a healthier person. You know, people talk about physical health and mental health, and that's great. And I'm 100% in support of it. But there's also spiritual health. And the only way in which you can really attend to your spiritual health is if you know where spirits come from, if you know how to, uh, you know, care for your particular spirit, um, and some people, it's like real popular to like, just, you know, talk about spirituality with some crystals and clay pots that folks got at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that too. I'm getting all kinds of spicy today. Um, but I guess my point here is, you know, we conclude with the, uh, well, there's one more thing. It says even the individual Christian has, you know, a, a sort of, battle at work in their own life, you know, forces at work that need to be subdued, like lust, you know, and the idea of infinite freedom of us doing whatever the hell we want isn't good for us. You know, that was the problem back up, you know, at the top of the podcast with Adam and Eve. And we are our own Adams and Eves at some level. And, uh, you know, learning to become humble and not just assert ourselves learning to be loving and not just lust after everything that we want, you know, that is, that requires work, you know, that is spiritual maturity and it requires, you know, it, it takes growth, it takes time. So the solution is Christ, you know, Christ says he is the one true way. And um, I wanted to, you know, I, that's a very hopeful thing. And I think the other hope is that there is, you know, revelation, you know, there's a prophecy that says that, Death is not the end, you know, and that one day every tear will be dried, you know, by the hand of Jesus. And that, well, that part is my uh, 
uh, edition. But the book of Revelation foretells that there will be a second coming of Christ and sort of the end of this world and the beginning of a new world. Your world, your, you know, who you are may end before that. And that's fine. Um, but we will be resurrected and redeemed in Christ, through Christ, really. And that is a very good thought. So it's not about being condemned. And I wanted to sort of take the most popular Bible verse, you know, John 3.16, and also give it 17, give you the sort of, uh, you know, the part that's not explained so often. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I think that's a beautiful part. It's the idea that we all need a savior. We all need help. We all need something uh, beyond ourselves. That's why we hope for that thing. That thing, that little hole in our heart that no matter what we try to fill in it, whether it's like food or relationships or uh, work, you know, it can only be filled with Christ. And I think that is a beautiful part and maybe a nice way to conclude the Christian story as per now. Um, I'll end with this last thing. Why does it matter? If you're not a Christian, it's to point out that you have a place in this story and that knowing God gives can give us hope in a hopeless world. Um, and if you are a Christian, why does this matter? Well, you should act like it because it is a radical moment and we need to really step up because somewhere along the way, uh, Christians have, have not. Uh, so let's go with our last section before we jet on out of here. What's good? Today, uh, I'm going to go with Isogenics Birthday Cake Protein Powder. It's not an ad. I don't get sponsored. But if you know some people, hit me up. Um, but yeah, man, that stuff is delicious. It's so good. And it's so good for you. Oh, that's the thing. Uh, I also recently finished the show The Community, which was beautiful, wonderful. We love to see it. Um, and lastly, uh, you know, I don't mean to shout this out sort of unnecessarily, but the Pagan Christian podcast got a lot of cool, um, you know, a lot of people reached out and gave me some sweet thoughts. Keep doing that. I love feedback. I want to hear what you want to hear and, you know, pray on it and we'll get, get some interesting topics and people lined up and we'll, we'll get everything set up but it's it is a really cool beginning and i feel like the holy spirit's hand is in this and uh you know i'm just trying to you know just trying to follow trying to follow some good some good spirit uh lastly let's pray lord i pray for all the people that are listening to this podcast and for the infinitely more uh, amount of people that aren't i pray for blessings for healing for discernment for people making critical decisions i just pray for peace in a peaceless world. Thank you for all of the really cool people that reached out, and I pray for blessings over them as well. Amen. Well, guys, I'm uh, you know about a minute, two minutes over, or so so I significantly apologize. I could not have committed a more primordial sin than uh, being more than 45 minute long podcast. Life is so cruel, just so cruel. Um, but yeah, so if you listen this far and you've heard the podcast, now you're at episode two, we have set the foundation. The episode one was about figuring out what is this podcast going to be about? 
And episode two is laying the foundation. Now let's build a house. You know, we're going to decorate it and set up a lot of really cool stuff. The next episode, we're talking about Halloween. So, and not just Halloween, but All Hallowtide and uh, Dia de Muertos and, uh, you know, all all things good. All things good. Because so many people have kind of lost their way and uh yeah so if you got any sweet takes on on the halloween or maybe if you're not a fan of halloween maybe hopefully this could be something that encourages you to think of it in a different way or maybe i missed something and you want to reach out to me before i you know record that that'll be out on monday today is thursday so i don't i don't know what day what date is that uh, the 26th, October 26th, just in time, just in time. You got all week to think about whether uh, Halloween is dope or Alex is just a raging lunatic, which honestly both could probably be true. All right, I've uh, I've taken up too much of your time. This is the pa- Alex at the Pagan Christian Podcast. Thank you for being you. I'm praying for you. I love you. Jesus does uh, as well. This has been the Christian story. Peace out.